Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back. It's a playoff show, Shahan. It's a playoff show. But we don't want to ignore the fact completely that the NCAA tournament is underway for basketball. So we are doing kind of a thing here today where we are trying to find comparisons for college basketball programs to college football programs. So we're looking at their status, their coaches, their reputation, their success, their problems, and saying, you know what? That basketball team reminds me of that football team. And I'll tell you what, Shahan, I thought this was gold in theory. Execution. I was going through stuff. I was like, man, this is kind of hard. But I think it's an interesting – there's a lot of perception here. And I think I certainly – I mean, I covered college basketball for a long time. I am not intimately involved with it now. You know, I host a playoff show. We're kind of but, busy here. Sean. Well, wait, you're, you're telling me that uh, that being somebody who's around Ohio State all the time, uh, you don't feel the overwhelming need to write constantly about their basketball program. I did go to one basketball game this year, ripped them, and then they won five of their last seven immediately after <laughs> I published my column ripping them. So there's See, that. You got to show up. You got to show up. They know that they're being disrespected by Cleveland.com's Doug Maurice. Why do? You, why else do you think they don't show up? I'm sure you That's showed up to way more when uh, when Greg Oden was around. So I'm sure that when they went to the uh, the national championship game, they were very excited to see you there. Greg Oden and Jared Sullinger couldn't couldn't get away from me, but now I'm like, ah, eh, whatever. <laughs> so so we are looking for comparisons here. You, I know, you are a national college football writer. But you are a pretty heavy fan of college basketball. How would you define your relationship to college basketball right now? Yeah, so growing up, basketball was my first love. I I was more of an NBA guy than a college guy. But, you know, this is actually kind of a funny story. I only toured at Baylor because they offered me a free basketball ticket. And so they like, you know, apparently they just they're like, oh, you know, a guy in DFW who we want to be a student here. You know what? He'd love sports. And it worked. And I went to a basketball game back in 2012. This was Baylor's Elite Eight team, too. So it was an actually good team. Uh, They were playing against Royce White's Iowa State. That's a name I'm sure that you haven't heard in a hot minute. Uh, And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Then I went and toured Baylor and I'm like, hey, this place is actually kind of cool. And I ended up going there. And my first year at Baylor, my, my freshman year, before I was doing any journalism stuff, basically I just went to every basketball game. Like I missed football games and I didn't miss basketball games because like at Baylor, especially, you know, look, it's not a very big school. And especially at the time, not a very engaged basketball fan base. Uh, You know, as a student, I could go and like stand in the front row, basically every single game. And so that was like something to do two or three times a week. And so I did it every single time. So I didn't grow up a college basketball person to like the hugest extent. I really grew to enjoy college basketball when I was there. Uh, now, and, and I would say that, you know, the past couple of years, I'm definitely more of a college football person, but it's been kind of fun now being a national college football writer that college basketball really isn't my purview anymore. So I can just kind of watch it and have fun with it and like kind of root for Baylor and it not be that big of a deal. So it's been it's been a lot of fun from that perspective. 
I was a big uh, Villanova 1985 guy. Like, mm. give me, give me some Ed Pinckney, give me some Harold Jensen, give me some eight seed over a one seed of the national title game when I was like twelve. So that was exciting. So, so we have enough. Listen, we we're we're coming at it from a football perspective, talking about basketball. So again, there's a lot of perception involved with this, but we want to make comparisons and. I don't know. So let let let's start <laughs> with the big dog because like it depends how you look at things and there's a couple different things going on here. But I think for a long time it was very easy to compare Nick Saban in Alabama and Mike Shashevsky and Duke as sort of these all-time greats who are at the top of their sport, who aren't just good but are winning titles, who much of the sport is defined by them, they recruit at the highest level. Mike Krzyzewski, of course, now is retired. He's he's first year out. He's 76. Nick Saban is 71. That was similar. But now that he's gone, right, I guess you could say, okay, what Duke is going through now, which was like maybe a little bit of a stutter step, but they got it together here in March, and people think they might make a Final Four run as a five seed. Are we looking at a blueprint for what Alabama will face and could do Whenever the Nick Saban era ends, Duke promotes from within. They get a, a tried and true Duke guy, John Shire, to run the program. Will Alabama do that? But I will also say, Shahan, I also think there is some Bill Self Kansas stuff here that is happening right now. Because Nick Saban, I think it's 17 years he's been doing this in Alabama. This is 20 years at Kansas for Bill Self. Bill Self has won multiple national titles, 16 for Saban, 20 for Self. Bill Self is only 60 years old, but Kansas is such a consistent presence, and he does have multiple national titles there. If we were doing this a year ago and Coach K was still around, I think, of course, we go Duke-Bama. But I think also, like right now, who sort of is and has been maybe the defining college basketball program that hasn't seen a change I think it's Kansas and Bill Self. So I think there's some Saban stuff there. How I'm sure you had a Bama football something. How did you approach it? So actually, I'm going to come from the other perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go into my first comparison. And it is Kansas basketball, but I think okay. that there's an even better uh, – I, I think there's an even better match. And that would be Ohio State football because – and let me get into this. They are so consistently good. Kansas basketball is never not good. They are probably the most consistent program in basketball. In fact, my favorite stats, maybe in all of sports, is that in the history of Kansas basketball, there is only one coach who had a record below 500. Do you know who that coach is? An overall record below 500? Yes. Uh, Larry Brown? No, no. Larry Brown, he won a national title. Uh, I don't know. Fog Allen. No. James Naismith. James Naismith. Yes. James Naismith, the man who invented basketball, is the worst coach in the history of the University of Kansas. Mm. That's how consistently good Kansas basketball is. But, and all-time great program, no question. But you look up. And before last year, right? Last year, obviously, Kansas wins the national championship. I think they have a chance to win it again this year. Prior to last year, total, they had three championships across their entire history. 1952, 1988, 2008. So you're talking about probably the most well-run program in the history of college basketball. You're talking about consistent success, winning everything, dominating their conferences, dominating, winning all sorts of conference championships. And kind of weirdly not having as many national championships as you'd think. I think there's a lot of Ohio State there. Ohio State is, to me, the probably the single best run program in all of college football. I think that their infrastructure is incredible. The fan base is astonishing. Uh, the, the success can't be doubted in any sort of way. And then you look up and, you know, you got 2014, you got 2002, and you got before that 1972 and you just feel like you're like why doesn't this program have seven national championships it makes no sense in your brain that this program doesn't have seven national championships and now i think that another thing that i'd add to it because like i mentioned kansas won the thing last year 
I think that right now, Ohio State is hitting another level in the way that Kansas, I think, right now is hitting another level Mm. where they're, I think, ready to have their moment. Now, the one thing that I'll say, like you said, Bill Self has been there since 2003. And I think right now, Bill Self, and I don't even know if there's an argument. I think Bill Self is the best coach in college basketball. I, I think he is. I think he's number one. I don't, I don't necessarily know who else you'd even consider putting ahead of him. I mean, Jay Wright would have been somebody who would have been ahead of him potentially at Villanova, but he retired last year. Coach K is gone and Coach K, you know, I mean, I think even over the last 10 years, Bill Self probably outperformed Coach K. Uh, Roy Williams, again, retired. So I think that Bill Self is the face of college basketball and is the best coach in college basketball right now. I, I would not give Ryan Day certainly that, that sort of credit. So the way that it's happening is a little different, but I, I think that these programs have a lot of similarities. And I kind of think that if you were to buy futures in any program over the next five to 10 years, Kansas basketball and Ohio State football, I think are up there with anybody. It is like everybody has positives and negatives, the expectations that you meet, the high standards you create for yourself that you fall short of. So there's I think there absolutely is a part of Kansas that fits with that Ohio State profile. Now, the one thing is you said so Kansas has four national titles total right now. Right. So Ohio State does have they claim eight because everybody claims multiple national titles in football, even though it was like a bunch of guys in a bar who voted before bowl season. They have six legit and two that are iffy, but everybody claims some iffy ones. So give Ohio State eight. I do think, so they, I have a different program for Ohio State, but it's not based on their current arc. I like the current arc comparison of Kansas basketball and Ohio State football. I don't think, Ohio State is on this arc. And I bet you'll have another comparison for this team. So this is like probably partial, partial. <laughs> I was thinking about Kentucky basketball. Okay. Because Kentucky basketball is this blue blood that has been around forever. Kentucky basketball owns eight national titles, but only three of those national titles are since 1978. So Ohio State has eight titles, but only two of them are since 1970. So it's kind of this thing of like, hey, you're really good. You're an absolute blue blood. But because that is one of the things, and I think sometimes, I don't know that unfairly is is the word I would use, but sometimes people say Ohio State falls short. They've fallen short of winning the national titles they should have won because they're always there. And they don't have as many titles as you would think they would have, at least in the modern era, for a team that's always there. And then my response sometimes to that is, listen, like, they're in the North. They're not in the South. I think that kind of the thing is that they're always there. And then actually, okay, they don't have as many titles as Bama. They don't have as many as, you know, they didn't go back to back like Georgia did. But the accomplishment is actually always being there, kind of where they are. But they probably, you know, they certainly could have won more. When you look at Kentucky – 96, 98, 2012, I think you feel like for what Kentucky basketball is, maybe they could have more. Now, the thing is right now, where is Kentucky basketball headed right now? Because they've had, you know, Final Four here, right? They were, I think, 14. They lost the national title game. But um, they missed the tournament a couple years ago. I don't know what people think of John Calipari at the moment. So I don't, but the part of me is, and also, you know, Kentucky and Ohio, they touch each other. Part of it is you're always good, but you don't have as many championships in modern times as maybe people would expect. That's where my comparison is. But I also do feel like, as you said, Ohio State football is kind of still in the upswing. I'm not sure where Kentucky basketball is right now. You know, they, they were an upset victim as a two seed last year to St. Peter's. So that's fresh in people's minds. So I'm curious because I would imagine you have some kind of Kentucky basketball thing, right? Yeah, I'm I'm going to be way meaner to them. Much, much, much meaner to them. Because I was ready to be meaner, but it's actually still pretty good, right? I mean, it's not like they've fallen off a cliff. They missed the tournament one year, and they, they missed the tournament to, in 21, and they got knocked out in the first round as a two seed in 22. And then the year before that was the pandemic. But the years before that, two seed, five seed, two seed, four seed, one seed, eight seed, one seed as a national champion. I don't like, I just, okay, go be mean. 
I like it when you're the mean one. It makes me feel better. Go <laughs> ahead. Go be mean. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that what you have to look at with Kentucky is, like you said, they only have one sort of true disaster season in the last little while under John Calipari. But when you look at them relative to the way that they recruit and the way that they're talked about and the way that they hold themselves, it just does not align whatsoever. And then you also go and you look back and you're like, huh, I guess a lot of Kentucky's real high level success happened pre-integration. That's weird. Mm. Shout out to the Texas Longhorns who have won four titles, including three pre-integration, including, by the way, the last title that is considered unanimously as the last segregation title. And uh, you kind of start looking at things and go, hmm, hmm. Now, Kentucky's had a little more success post-integration than Texas has for sure. But things have kind of been a mess since Anthony Davis left town. Now, they, they did... 2014, 2015, 2017, 2019, those were Elite Eight teams. Like, those were good teams. And I think that Elite Eight is still plenty of success, but they haven't been to the Final Four since 2015, uh, which is a long time for for the way that they're talked about at this point. We're talking eight years at this point. Last year, like you talk about, they lose to St. Peter's. They haven't had a truly relevant team, I would argue, in a while. Like a while. They, they've had players come through for sure. Tyler Hero came through. Malik Monk came through. These are good players. I'm not saying that they're not. But again, you're talking about their last true sort of run coming in 2015. That's a long time. And I think that similarly with Texas, right? You have this 2000s. The 2000s were incredible for Texas football. They won a national championship. They were right in the conversation to be there essentially every single year of the 2000s. They won 10 games almost every year. They played in another national championship game. Uh, Like really, really awesome time. But here's the issue. That made Texas fans feel like that's how things were supposed to be. When they haven't been that way since pre-integration. And similarly with Kentucky, you know, you have this run in the beginning of the John Calipari era, you know, between 2010, 2015, where they just suddenly hit this other level. And so people think, oh, this is how Kentucky's supposed to be. They ain't been that very often <laughs> since 1970. They just haven't. They've had teams that have gone and won the thing, but they haven't been like that. So for me, these are two programs, assuredly Blue Buds, but you start to go and look back. And a whole lot of success came before a lot of people were paying attention and before a lot of people were allowed to play the sport. Very fitting for Kentucky, I think, when you talk about this, that they were on the other side of the Texas Western first five black starter team to win a national championship. I think that that is a seminal moment when you look at the pre and post of this program history, I think, in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, so... I'm sorry to Kentucky. I'm sorry to Texas, but you guys are made for each other. That's better. That's better. <laughs> and did, did you have a theory that Kentucky basketball was Texas football and Texas basketball was Kentucky football? <laughs> right? There's, like, didn't you start down that, that path somewhere? Uh, Texas basketball has been a lot more successful historically than than Kentucky football. I will say that. But, you know, I mean, I, I think that you look at, uh, I think you look at the last sort of, you know, the Mark Stoops era, I guess we'll say. There's a lot of comparisons. I mean, I think there's a lot of comparisons. But the, Texas basketball did make a Final Four in 2003. Like, Kentucky, ba- K- Kentucky football is never doing that. Is Will Levis the Kevin Durant of Kentucky football? Oh, That's a God, headline no. for you on CBS no, Sports. No, Go ahead. No, no, uh, no. I'm trying to think. Who- it when Will Levis was an all-time great. <laughs> no, Will Levis is the Mo Bamba of Kentucky football. <laughs> where it's like, ooh, and then he goes to the league and it's like, oh, is this guy an NBA player? We're not quite sure. Uh, that's that's pretty good. Okay. So no, I like that's a very smart comparison. I think we we have some pieces of stuff there, but that that Texas yeah. football, Kentucky basketball. And, and it's good. not a one to one. I mean, again, Kentucky basketball won in 78, 96, 98, and 2012, but it's just when you talk about well, because because here's the thing, right? And I want to. I, I feel like I always need to clarify this with Ohio State, with Michigan, with Texas. Like when you are a blue blood, 
we're comparing you to Blue Bloods. I'm not comparing Kentucky basketball to insert program X, right? I'm not comparing them to, to USC basketball. I'm not comparing them to, to Florida State basketball. I'm comparing them to the other Blue Bloods. And when you look at them versus the other Blue Bloods versus Kansas in the modern era, North Carolina in the modern era, Duke in the modern era, like it's, it's just not the same. It's just not. And I, that, that's the bar that I'm holding both these programs to, both Texas and Kentucky, is the level of being one of the greatest programs in the history of their respective sports. So I just did some research. It's so nice that college basketball has this line in the sand of 1985 when they expand the tournament to 64 teams. And it's clearly the beginning of the modern era of college basketball and March Madness as we know it now. So since 1985, before this year, not counting this year, number of tournament, no, is it Sweet 16s? It's Sweet 16s. Yes, Sweet 16s since 1985. Okay. Duke 26, North Carolina 24, Kansas 23, Kentucky 22. They're the top four. And they're the only four above 20. So that's like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty top group of modern era blue bloods that really helps define like this is, this is real stuff. And it's not titles, but sweet 16s mean something. So I thought, you know, just as a reminder, Kentucky's in that group. Kentucky's in that group. And if we did that for Texas, you know, since the advent of the bowl coalition or whatever, is Texas going to be in the top four of, hey, really being in the mix? No, they wouldn't be. But again, there's a lot there otherwise. Um, So I think it's a good comparison. All right. I have another Kentucky thing that I can't get away from. And then we'll be done with Kentucky basketball. But we'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. Previously on the College Football Survivor Show. There is a coach last year that left for a job because he said one of the greatest programs in the history of college football oh, yeah. is not a place that he believed he could win at a high level. And actually, now that I said that, I might actually be switching which one I'm picking <laughs> because there is anger. There is anger. I was originally going to go with LSU Notre Dame. I yeah. think I might go with Oklahoma USC instead. it's the same thing oh which one's angrier we'll see i i think that lsu notre dame might be a bigger deal but oklahoma usc is angrier because oklahoma is so clearly downgraded am i allowed to say that i'm trying not to say that too loud i want to make sure they don't hear me but i love (laughs) you take both take both i want both catch the latest episode of the college football survivor show wherever you listen to podcasts Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Shahan. So I was doing, I thought about this in terms of a person because I was trying to think about the program. And then I thought, well, the program right now is such the person that is that really the comparison I'm looking for? So let me ask you about this. Lincoln Riley's jump from Oklahoma to USC. Can we draw comparisons to John Calipari's jump from Memphis to Kentucky? Where it's like, hey, man, I am winning at a really high level. I am having a lot of success, but guess what? I don't have a title and I'm not quite at the top in terms of my ability to consistently recruit the best of the best of the best. Although we get a lot of good players. You know, I have Derek Rose. I have Kyla Murray. Like I have, a, but I'm going to go, I'm going to elevate. I'm going to take that last half step to the very top of the sport. And then, and then we get back to, and then John Calipari has been good, certainly has been con- good, good at Kentucky, but he hasn't stacked five titles at Kentucky. And so are we, are we peering into the future of Lincoln Riley at USC? And if Lincoln Riley at USC does what John Calipari has done at Kentucky, which is be a consistent winner, be a consistent top 10, 12, 15 team, make sweet 16s, make elite eights, but are you absolutely stacking titles? No, you have one. 
would USC take that? So what do you think of the Lincoln Riley, John Calipari making that leap comparison? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and like you said, this is a program in Memphis basketball that was two free throws away from winning a national championship over Kansas, by the way. Uh, and so, no, I, I think that, you know, you, when you're John Calipari, you look at Memphis and you're like, I can win a lot here, but I just feel like I'm so much more advantaged being at another place. And that place, of course, being Kentucky. Uh, and I think that in some ways, especially when you look at the context of 2008, 2009, uh, I, I mean, Memphis, gosh, what conference was Memphis in at the time? Was that Conference USA still at the time? I think that's right. Yes, yeah, that's so, correct. Yeah. And so, you know, but but at the same time, you know, you're lo- you're leaving a place where you were the top show in town, unquestionably, in Conference USA to join an SEC that really was not serious at all about basketball at the time. And you could still be the top show in town in a lot of ways, but with more advantages. And I think that there's a lot of comparisons there to Lincoln Riley, of course, being at the program in the Big 12 in Oklahoma, uh, but then kind of not liking the direction of where things were going and going to USC so that he could continue to be the top show in town in the Pac-12. Now, obviously, the Big Ten move has thrown that kind of into whack in some ways. In a similar way, I think, as the SEC growing up and starting to take basketball a little bit more seriously as all this money has flowed in. So I think that there are some really good comparisons here. Um, you know, and and I think that, again, you look at especially the early to mid Calipari era at Kentucky, Obviously, I talked a, a tremendous amount of crap about them just a second ago. But if you do look at those, those sort of early to mid years of the Calipari era, I mean, they were playing nationally relevant games every single week. They made Final Fours in 2011, 2012, 2014, 2015. That, that's really freaking impressive, right? And and things have wavered since then. And it's been eight years. That's a long time to kind of be away from that. But that's kind of, I think, similar to what we expect from Riley, to be right there on the edge of that top four. You know, obviously, again, I think that, um, you know, the, the question is going to be, can Lincoln Riley have a 2012 Kentucky team? Have, you know, Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and all those guys come through where you kind of have this perfect confluence of events? That's what we're waiting to see. But... You know, I think that also he might have a 2014 Kentucky where you have a team that maybe wasn't awesome and just gets hot at the right time and goes on a run, especially in an expanded playoff. So I like this quite a bit, actually. I think that this coaching comparison makes a lot of sense. I, I do think that uh, I, I don't expect Lincoln Riley to lose it the same way that John Calipari has, but John Calipari has been there for 14 years or whatever. I mean, obviously, yeah. you never know what's going to happen after five. So, I mean, you look at Calipari's last four years at Memphis. In the NCAA tournament, they're a one seed, a two seed, a one seed, a two seed. They go Elite Eight, Elite Eight, national championship game, lose to Kansas, as you said, because they couldn't make foul shots, and then Sweet 16. So they're right there, his last four years at Memphis, which reminds me of Lincoln Riley making the playoff at Oklahoma. Like, we're right there. But is this the place where I can really get over the top? Because also, John Capali, you look at a guy like Derek Rose and think, well, when am I going to get another guy like Derek Rose? At Kentucky, theoretically, you can get a Derek Rose every year, right? Maybe, I mean, Lincoln Riley, they were getting great players at Oklahoma, but I do think Lincoln Riley believes you go to Southern California, you lock down that area in recruiting, you have a national brand in USC, you should be able to elevate slightly, at least, the level of players you get consistently. And that might get you over the top. So Calipari did. I mean, he got his national title at Kentucky. That's what Lincoln Riley is looking for. So I do think I do think there's something to this. Um, and I do think, again, it's, it's tough because Calipari had such success at Kentucky right away. They've still been very good, but they've kind of fallen off from their own standards. So it's like it... It does feel like a Kentucky basketball comparison right now, even though they're good, is kind of a negative when actually it's like, well, it's not that negative. Shahan, it's not that <laughs> negative. Okay, so I think we're probably done with Kentucky basketball. This is a lot of Kentucky basketball content for a football podcast. Give me another comparison that you got. Yeah, this one's going to hurt my heart just a little bit, but unfortunately it's just such an obvious comparison that I have to make it. And I'm going to go with my Baylor Bears at this point. And the obvious, obvious, obvious comparison is that they're Clemson football. Baylor basketball, Clemson football. 
Okay. I have a different Clemson comparison for Clemson football. Tell me why you picked Baylor for this. So, first of all, this is a program that really doesn't have much obvious business being an elite program at their level, right? Clemson football, they did win a title in the 80s, but this is not what they are. This is not like their birthright to be. It also took Dabo a little while to get this thing going. He was, I think, named head coach in 2008. They started to get pretty good. They started to get better. They started to get better. But you didn't really look at them being a national contender for like a good eight years. It took some time. Obviously, what Scott Drew took over at Baylor is a completely different can of worms. Uh, but, you know, five years uh, it took him to go from being literally wiped off the face of the earth to being in the NCAA tournament. Then they make some elite eights. And then they have like these teams across the 2010s where you're like, this is a good team. Maybe things didn't work out. 2017, I think, is a team that you look at and you're like, wow, that was a really good team. But Jonathan Motley just gets hurt. And so they're not able to maybe go as deep as we thought that they could go. And then finally, you kind of get the formula right in 2020. Obviously, that's the pandemic year that Tournament never happens. I think that Baylor would have had a great chance to be in the Final Four or win it all uh, potentially that year if it wasn't canceled. Whole team comes back. 2021, they put together one of the most dominant seasons of all time. Uh, You know, 2022, funnily enough, they had an awesome, awesome team and just got upset in the uh, in the second round by a North Carolina team that went on to win the title. That reminds me in some ways of 2017 when Clemson is the one seed in the entire playoff and plays Alabama and and obviously gets beat by Alabama because Alabama goes on to play for a national championship. They go and win the national championship. And then I think this year, you know, again, you're talking about them as a three seed. You're talking about them as a national contender. I'm a little worried about them because I don't know how good their defense is. But that's, a, that's another conversation, right? I, I think that there is no question that Baylor has elevated itself into being one of the top five programs right now in college basketball. And there's no real reason that should be the case. And I feel the same way about Clemson, right? Clemson, it's a good school. It's got a good fan base. It ain't got money like that. Look at uh, when you look at the revenue producers in college uh, football. I mean, Clemson's like 23rd. They are nowhere near the top of things. But the, both programs, I think, have taken on to such a large extent the personality of their coach. Obviously, the difference between Baylor and Clemson football is that Clemson football is a much more religious organization than Baylor, which is just, you know, coincidentally just a religious school as opposed to Clemson football, which is like a cult. But I think that, uh, that you know, you talk about two programs that have taken on the personality of coaches who fit their place perfectly that have been given a lot of leeway to to grow I think have really built trust in players and other coaches and uh, and so I think that these are two programs that are heading in a similar direction so I had a comparison for Clemson football and it's along the same lines and I I like I think I might like mine more okay because the thing here is because because like I'm picking a team a basketball team kind of from a nothing conference, which is like Clemson from the ACC. What ACC football, what are we talking about? So I went with Gonzaga. And when you think about why is this team good? And that it is, you know, Dan Monson got it going for two years. It still cracks me up. I was on, do you you know this? That I was on Stump the Schwab, the ESPN sports game show. And I got a question wrong because it was about Dan Monson, who left Gonzaga to be the head coach at Minnesota, which sounds ridiculous now. What? You left <laughs> what to go where? And I called him Glenn Monson, and I couldn't think of his first name. Stupid Dan Monson. So, so Dan Monson, one, did it to himself, then he did it to me by being a trivia question. But what Mark Few has done at Gonzaga and what Dabo Sweeney has done at Clemson I think is similar in that, like, where did you come from? Why are you this good? Like you said, Clemson had that title in 1981. They had been there. Gonzaga had John Stockton. All I know from that era of Utah jazz basketball was they would always be like John Stockton who went to Gonzaga. And I was like, what is that? Who knows what that is? And now it's like, oh, them, they're one seeds in the tournament. They're in the mix for national titles all the time. So they did have a little something. And then all of a sudden, they elevate themselves to truly in the absolute top tier of the sport, kind of for no reason. 
kind of on the the will and determination and acumen of a coach. And so and and Clemson really did it. Now Clemson's teetering a little bit. We'll see what Garrett Riley does for them. Clemson really did it for a good long healthy time. Gonzaga has really done it for a good long healthy time. It's like two decades of NCAA tournament success now. That's a little bit Baylor feels a little newer to me on that than Gonzaga. So I think both are good. But Mark Few has been basically making the tournament every single year. They've made it every single year since he took over in in 1999-2000. They've made it every year, two decades plus of making the tournament every year. And again, Clemson, until the last two years, was there every year. This was the new era Clemson. They're not going, you know, they're in the mix. So I do like that of the idea of you're so good when really we're not exactly sure why that is, which I do think would apply to all three programs here. Yeah, so the the hesitation because I Gonzaga was a tough one. Gonzaga was a tough one. The the sort of I guess unofficial uh, comparison that I came up with that in the end was Boise State because I think that Clemson whenever they came up like the ACC is a terrible conference right now. I think that we can all acknowledge that at the time Clemson had to get past Florida State. Florida State was one of the best, most consistent, most historic programs in all of football. They won the 2013 National Championship. They were right there in the playoff in 2014. Like, they had a hill to get over. And Gonzaga didn't have that, right? Like, Gonzaga, when you talk about them being from a nothing conference, just I, I think it's two very different situations, right? Like, I think that it's two very different levels of being from a nothing conference. So, to me, right, the, the comparison to Boise State and this is, I guess, probably at this point, maybe a little bit of a dated comparison because Boise State hasn't been good in a little while. Like you kind of have to change the timelines back maybe 10 years. But, you know, Boise State, you're really talking about them being from a conference where what they do in the conference is essentially irrelevant, right? What Clemson does in their conference isn't irrelevant. There are teams that have the ability to beat them or at least give them a little bit of a game. But like Boise State, I mean, I remember... I, I wasn't even into college football like that when this happened. I remember turning on the TV because Colin Kaepernick in Nevada had a chance to upset Boise State. And this was like a years thing. This was like a a mind-blowing type situation, right? Whenever Boise State had the opportunity to lose a conference game. That's closer to me than what uh, what Clemson is from a Gonzaga perspective, right? Where Gonzaga is like, not just winning every year, but they're playing nobody. They're, they're playing no relevant games during their conference season, unless somebody has the opportunity to beat them. So I, I definitely get the comparison. And I think that especially when you look at it from a long-term perspective, that makes sense. I, I think that I'd make the comparison more with Mark Fugenzaga to Chris Peterson, Boise state potentially. No, that is good. And I would compare Glenn Monson, I know it's Dan Monson, to Dan Hawkins, <laughs> who kind of got it going at Boise yeah, State and yeah. then left to be the head coach at Colorado and had a losing record at Colorado. And then Chris Peterson's like, hey, cool. Thanks for the program, man. And then Boise <laughs> State's like a top 10 program for six straight years under Chris Peterson. Yeah. And it's like, why did I leave? Those are such right. stark examples to me of when you are really building something at kind of an underdog program, don't jump until it's for like a, like a real chance to win. Until it's for Washington. Yeah. yeah. Like to go to Colorado, to go to Minnesota basketball, like when it's just the embers, it's just the embers of what Gonzaga basketball could have been. And you jump from Minnesota, like wait for a top, like try to build something and wait for a top 10 or 15 job. You know what I mean? I just, so, so that's probably right. And I thought about, I think Boise State also, uh, I don't, do Idaho and Washington touch each other? They do, right? I think they do. I think that's right. Yeah. And Spokane is like real East too. So they're actually, actually, they're probably very close to each other now that I think about it. And Google Maps, Google Maps. Oh, he's on this phone. So, so Shahan is going to do a little geography here. So I think those are good comparisons. And now I'm going to drop one on you that I need help with because there is a part of me that like my uh, college basketball knowledge dips when I stopped covering it every day. And so there was a time, I mean, I've told you, you know, when I, when I started covering Ohio state, I went to the final four every year, right? I just was, that was part of it. Again, that's how newspapers did it back then. Um, I was at Florida's first national title when they went back to back in 06 and 07, I was there in 06 in Indianapolis and I was in a TGI Fridays and a tornado came through downtown Indianapolis. And we all had to hide in the bathroom at TGI Fridays. Never forget that. 
and I was at the regional in Detroit when Steph Curry was coming through with Davidson and LeBron James and the Cavs were playing the Pistons the next night. So they all came to watch Davidson play. And so I was working for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and I was like, I have to go talk to LeBron. And I went over and I said, hey, LeBron, I work for the Plain Dealer. Do you have a minute? And LeBron said, if you work for the P- Cleveland Plain Dealer, how come I don't know who you are? And I was like, okay, that's a rough start to this conversation. <laughs> that's like, whenever I try to encapsulate my career, that moment is pretty close. It's like I've been at the Plain Dealer like six or seven years at this point. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, we're the, yeah. we're the paper that covers him every day. We, you know, it's not me. If you work for the Plain Dealer, how come I don't know who you are? <laughs> Can I still get a quote from you? And I said, I said, uh, why are you here? And he said, I'm here to watch that guy. And he pointed at like the backup center for Davidson. And I was like, <laughs> really? And he was like, no. I'm here to watch the kid. And I was like, thank you for the quote. And I just left. So that's, so that's me. Like I got to tell you, I'm in the heart of college basketball, man. I'm just killing it out there. So that's still like my reference point. There's a part of me that still thinks Steph Curry is in college. So I lose some things. So I was at the Butler when Butler lost to Duke, the national title game and get Gordon Hayward took the shot at the, in the national title game. So I'm looking for a TCU comparison, like a what? like a national title game appearance. That's a what? And I go to Butler, but I don't know that that's right. But if we're trying to put a what, like a, huh, how did you do that? How did you bang instantaneously overnight? Practically go from, Hey, you're good at this to you're playing for a national title. I couldn't find a better one than Butler basketball for TCU football, but maybe you can. No, that's a good question. I, I will say I did look it up. So, uh, so Gonzaga is twenty miles from the state line to Idaho, but oh. I was dumb. I forgot that Boise is well south in Idaho. Like it's like in the main sort of like part. Uh, so they're they're like the schools are like seven hours from each other, but Gonzaga is spiritually a school in Idaho. So I think that this actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that T-shirt. Spiritually in Idaho, Gonzaga. <laughs> I would buy that. Ooh, shirt. That's a concerning shirt, to be honest. Um, but uh, no, that, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like I mean, I don't hate a Davidson comparison with this because this was mm. kind of like a why is Max Duggan doing this? Right. Like what is going on sort of situation now? You know, obviously. Well, first of all, it's football, so like you can't – Steph Curry can't individually take a team the same way as they can in college basketball. That's just not how the sport works. So like you do have to contextualize like, oh, well, Max Duggan had Quentin Johnston, and it was very helpful for him to have a guy like that out there. But um, in terms of being unexpected and and this guy who was you know pretty under the radar heading into 2022 uh, coming out and putting together sort of a season for the ages. We can have a conversation. Look, we can have plenty of conversations about how good Max Duggan actually is and whether or not he's actually going to have a chance to play in the NFL. That's a conversation for another day. And also for every group text that I'm in, because we've been arguing about this for four years at this point. But, but I think that, you know, you talk about Max Duggan coming out of nowhere and putting together sort of a spectacular season, obviously, uh, Davidson did not go to the title game, but I, th- I think that you do have to treat them a little more like a Cinderella. Another comparison, actually, that I might like a little more is 2014 UConn. Now that team, that team won the title, uh, and and TCU very much did not win the title. But uh, you know, you're talking about a player. Who's like good, but maybe not awesome in Shabazz Napier having just an incredible run. And, uh, you know, for a team that was bad, like a team that was not good until he started doing that. I mean, I think that UConn was an eight seed in the tournament. This was not a team that was really expected to come in and do much. TCU kind of, uh, you know, obviously they had an incredible regular season, very, very much deserved to be in the playoff. Uh, but, 
in the context of being a playoff team, they kind of backed into the playoff. They kind of were seen as not really a serious team by a lot of people. And then they went out and put up a whole bunch of points on Michigan and they went and played in the national title game. So I, I think that maybe that might be a comparison is, is 2014 UConn just a team that, uh, and a team that wasn't bad, a team that, um, you know, UConn is obviously a very historic program and I'm not comparing them to TCU by any means, but TCU's been around, right? TCU's been kind of waiting for that moment to have their season in some ways and and it was sort of this very unlikely team that ended up being the one to do it okay we have we have at least we have another football we have a football program out there that we have to find a comparison for and then i have one that i like one that i like and then we'll probably wrap this up we'll do it all next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Shahan. What else you got left for our comparisons here? I think that uh, one that I kind of went the other direction to try to find was UCLA. UCLA basketball. Mm. This is another blue blood program. This is a program that at one point in history was just unbelievable. Just just unfair to everybody else in the sport. And then they've kind of just coasted with that for a little while and the the comparison that i have and i don't i don't know how much i like this one but i'm going to throw it out there i'm going to go with tennessee football so tennessee football in the 40s and 50s had an incredible run under uh under general neeland i mean the guy who they named the stadium after and you kind of felt like, okay, this is going to be a program that we talk about forever and uh, is one of the great historic programs. And things just kind of haven't gone that way for a while. Now, similarly, UCLA, a couple of years ago, goes on a four, Final Four run. And, and UCLA had an incredible 2000s as well when they had like Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook and all that too. But, uh, you know, I think maybe you could compare that to the former years, some of the 90s years. You know, now I think UCLA is starting to come back a little bit. I think Tennessee starting to come back a little bit. We'll have to see for both of those programs if they can get to that very top level. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, when these teams are good, you're kind of engaging a fan base and a part of the country, you know, not not the South, but like Tennessee specifically, that is pretty fun to have involved. Right. I think it is pretty fun to have UCLA involved in national college basketball. I think it's pretty fun to have Tennessee involved in national college football, although I wish they'd get out of my Twitter mentions. So I think that these programs are both pretty fun, both kind of are not coasting, but have historically coasted on a super successful era in their histories. And now maybe I have a chance to not I, I, I never want to use the word back because I think that that's just totally unfair to the way that the world is today but you know who will both have a chance to i think have some pretty special seasons ahead one more one more thing that i'll add to it just real quick is that also they were kind of pushed to hire coaches that they didn't want to hire mick cronin for ucla was like way down the list because they couldn't get uh, jamie dixon out of his buyout and josh heupel was like very much the all right this guy's a placeholder and both of them have ended up being really good no i think that's good I like that one. I like looking for like these traditional powers who then, you know what, again, I mean, Tennessee didn't have John Wooden success, but like <laughs> no, nobody no. has. So like you can throw, it's like, hey, <laughs> is there any uh, football teams out there that won 13 titles in 15 years or whatever it is? It's like, no. <laughs> okay. Weird. Oh, we won't do that. Yeah, weird. Um, okay. So I have one. I want to do Michigan football. And my comparison for Michigan football is Michigan basketball. <laughs> and I am doing that because they're like, I'll tell you what, man, when Michigan basketball was rolling and John Beeline made five sweet 16s in seven years and had two national title runner ups in that period and then jumped to the NBA. And I had many conversations. It was like and I, people in Ann Arbor had these conversations like, oh, Michigan's a basketball school. Right. Let's go back. Bo's Bo, 
But if you said Michigan athletics, go, what's your thing for real? Is it not the fab five for everybody? Michigan athletics go right. No offense to Bo, but that's what it is. And then when they fell into this rich rod, Brady Hoke, what is this period? And John Beeline comes in and it's like, man, let's do this. Michigan is excellent at basketball. And then even when Jim Harbaugh was there but wasn't exactly completely getting it rolling yet, and then Beeline left to get Juwan Howard, and it's like, man, they brought the old prodigal the prodigal son back for football, and it's like, I don't know. And then they bring it back for basketball. It's like, Juwan Howard is awesome. So now the success that Michigan football is having, back-to-back playoff appearances – Man, it's like the beeline era of basketball, you know, and I think people are as enthused now. I mean, there was a time when you could ask me three years ago, pick any coach in college basketball for the next 10 years, go. And I would have had Juwan Howard really high on that list. And I'm, I think he'd still be on my list. You know, they missed the tournament this year. Not great with some pretty good players. They missed the tournament this year, Michigan basketball. So that's, that's a, that's a blemish, but if, if Michigan football is looking for a standard, hey, Michigan football, we just think you should be more nationally relevant. Chrysler Arena is connected to Michigan Stadium. They can go through a tunnel. They don't even have to go outside to look for an example. The football team does its interviews in the basketball arena. It's right there. And Michigan basketball wasn't just good. It was incredibly nationally relevant in this time when Michigan football wasn't, and now Michigan football is again. So it's just, you know, it's always fun to do. We did it last year, the best combo schools, that kind of thing. Michigan certainly has that ability. It's not matched up right this second because now Michigan football's up and Michigan basketball's a step back a little bit. But man, in this last 10 to 15 year period, they've both been up near the top of the sport, which is there's not a ton of schools that can say that. I think that the way that both of those programs do it is just so different that it makes it hard for me to compare. So so let me give what I think are decent, not perfect comparisons for both, because I think I have them. Michigan basketball, I would go with Miami football because they... Okay, okay give your point, because I have a Miami football one too. So make okay, your point okay. about this. Bro. Yeah. I, I, you have to contextualize, like Michigan basketball has won one title, Miami has won like five, right? Like it, it's not a it's not an on-field comparison, but when these programs were doing their thing, what came about was not just about the on-field product, it was about their cultural relevance. It was about the Fab Five, it was about Miami football, it was about the U, it was about, you know, just the culture around it. And I think that one of the things that's been interesting for both of these programs is trying to discover whether they want that, whether they want to try to embrace the culture or whether they want to try to do things the right way, you know, whatever you want to call it. And and I think that both of them haven't really come up with a good answer for how they follow up with it. Because like you said, Michigan football is one of the greatest programs in the history of sports. The, The greatest quarterback of all time played at Michigan. They've won all these titles. Now, again, only one shared title since 1948, I think it is. But Elvis Gerbach. You're talking about Elvis Gerbach, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Elvis, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody who can actually win the outright starting quarterback job at Michigan, of course. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, I, I think that, you know, when you look at the cultural relevance, like you talk about, the most culturally relevant thing that Michigan athletics has done, especially in the last 30 years, well, gosh, I guess we're moving past 30 years at this point, is the Fab Five, is that team. You know, there was a a great podcast that uh, ESPN's Daily Show did where they pointed out that the name Jalen essentially did not exist until Jalen Rose came about. And then it became popularized because that's the kind of cultural impact that the Fab Five had. Look at the the shorts that people wore in the NBA in the early 2000s. That's the Fab Five, right? So when you talk about cultural relevance, uh, I, I think that Miami football and Michigan basketball have a lot of comparisons there. And I think that similarly, they don't know how to leverage that in the modern era necessarily. So my comparison, I think that's really good. My comparison was Miami football and UNLV basketball because, and they were right around the same time. And again, there's cultural relevance. There's a, a swag, there's a style to it. 
Larry Johnson and Stacey Ogman and, and then, but there's also success. There's also a national championship there. Now, Miami, Howard Schnellenberger built it. Jimmy Johnson elevated it. And then everybody else after that, Dennis Erickson did a good job, but kind of ran on the fumes of what those guys built. UNLV was Tark, right? So it was it was more condensed. But I think where it comes into question here is UNLV, since Jerry Tarkanian, they're just never going to get that back. And I think, and we just talked about it on the pod that we just did, right? We've talked about Miami multiple times this offseason. And I certainly am guilty of it. I sort of want Miami to get that back. And maybe the answer is they're UNLV basketball. It's never coming back. It was of a time. It was of a style. And the sport has moved on. There are other things in play now that maybe – you know, the stadium situation or where it's located and, and the support and just the donor base and all those things aren't just going to match up for Miami football compared to Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. And it's not going to match up for UNLV compared to UCLA and Kentucky and Kansas. And we're just never going to get it back. So that's where I wonder. And they both they both were at a peak there at a time when they were setting trends and getting attention for their success and their style. Yeah, I, one question that I have, and, and like as a quick aside, is what what do you think? Because UNLV is like one of those programs that I think in some ways has been lost to history. Like, I don't think we talk about them enough. And for me, I mean, I was obviously not around whenever they were really rolling. What do you think of like the comparison to that era of UNLV to like, 2008 Texas Tech with Mike Leach, where you kind of have these weirdos who are just doing stuff and it's super exciting. I, I think that gives short shrift to UNLV. UNLV was a That's thing. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. UNLV was a thing. And no offense to Mike Leach, but like, yeah. you know. No, I mean, they never reached that level. I think there's something in there. But, but, so we're, we're in the right range and I think we're both hitting points here. So uh, I, I think that then on the flip side, right? So I, I talked about my Michigan basketball one. I think that that it's the cultural cachet of Miami. I think that my Michigan football one, and this one, <laughs> this one was one that again, it's it's just hard for me to place because you look at their national success. It's before 1948, right? Like that's that's where you have to go back to whenever Michigan's one of the greatest football programs of all time. But. I think that the comparison that I came up with, and I don't know how good I feel about it, I think I would go with Indiana basketball because mm. you're you're talking about a program that is great, uh, a fan base that is obsessed and like it, it, in the most positive of ways, right? That is that knows its history, that gets it, that understands what Indiana basketball is supposed to be. That is the show in town in that state. It's all that matters. And like, I think in 2022, 2023 and beyond, it's hard to know exactly what a fair expectation is for what these programs are. Because you ask somebody who was, you know, growing up in the 70s or 80s, and the answer is, well, Indiana basketball should be North Carolina basketball. It should be the greatest program in the country and it should be everything in, in everyone. And I think that for Michigan, it, it's kind of interesting too. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not talking about people who were around in the forties, but you know, even through the seventies and eighties and nineties, like Michigan football was talked about and deservedly so as one of the programs in all of college football, even if they didn't win titles. And now they're kind of getting back to that. I think that people who grow up in this era will think of Michigan as one of those programs too. But it's hard for me to know exactly for both of these programs what exactly success should be categorized as. Should it be winning titles because that's what this program has been? Or is it just consistent national competitiveness? Is it competing for elite eights and final fours in Indiana's case? Uh, because Indiana's got a great team this year too and might have the best player in college basketball. So I don't know. These are, these are two programs that I think are hard for me as a, individually to place. I think that's really good. I think there's a lot of comparisons between Bo Beckler and Bob Knight. And now both those programs have reached back to coaches who played for those coaches to regenerate. That Indiana wants Mike Woodson to be their Jim Harbaugh. It's not even just that you are a former player. It's that you were a key former player for this legend who defined the program, and you are trying to get that era back. 
So I do think I, and again, the question is, will you ever, can you ever have things change? Not that you can't be good consistently, but will you ever be that? Will you ever be Bo? Will you ever be the night air again? I don't know. I think it's a good one. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that I'll add to both of these is look, I'm, uh, I'm 29, right? I am younger, but I'm also notably older than kids you're recruiting who are 15 to 18. And when people talk about Michigan football and when people talk about Indiana basketball, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, right? Because I haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen it as a 29 year old. Now I'm starting to see it now. Uh, and certainly, I mean, let's be clear. I, I learn my history. I go back and watch stuff. I know, I know what it means. But when you talk to somebody who grew up in the late 90s, 2000s, even the 2010s, these are not programs that I would have thought of as being relevant for a very long time in terms of actual national competitiveness. And that is a hurdle as a coach and as a program that you have to get over. And, and Jim Harbaugh is doing that right now. I think that Indiana basketball under Mike Woodson this year is starting to get over that a little bit. But, you know, again, if you asked people who were 15 years old who the greatest programs in the history of their respective sports are, I, I don't think anybody would name Indiana basketball. And especially two or three years ago, I don't know how many people would have named Michigan football, even though they 100% deservedly are. So I think that getting past that mental... Uh, sort of block for younger people is going to be really significant to just trying to get these programs back, uh, not just to national competitiveness, but but to national relevance consistently. So th- there would have been a time, I think, if, if you said like the bluest of the blue bloods in college basketball, right? And and again, since 85, the Sweet 16s, Duke 26, North Carolina 24, Kansas 23, Kentucky 22. And then UCLA is tied for sixth with 16. I think because of the wooden history, you can throw UCLA into that top group. Yep. There is a time when you would have made an argument for Indiana to be in that group. But 100%. since 85, Indiana 10, Sweet 16 mm. since 85. That's wow. tied for 15th with Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Villanova. It's Yuck. behind Purdue and Florida. It's behind Michigan and Gonzaga. It's behind Louisville Ooh. and Yukon. Being behind, behind Purdue is brutal. <laughs> right? It's still very good, but you cannot argue. Nobody, can, you can't put Indiana with Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA. You can't. And certainly, at the best of the Bobby Knight era, you absolutely would have. So I do think there's a relevant comparison there, which will bring us to the team that we have to do. And I didn't have a comparison at the start of this podcast, and now I have one. And I actually like it. And we got to do Georgia football. And I think the comparison is Villanova basketball. Okay. And it's mostly because their coaches' names are smart and right. And that just exudes confidence. Man, you're smart and man, you're right. Now Jay Wright left. He's on TV now. But Kirby Smart's doing it. Georgia had national titles in 1942 and 1980. And then it was like, yo, Georgia, you're good. But you can't get over the top again. Villanova had a national title in 1985, miracle national title. They were around. And it was like, hey, Villanova, you can't get over the top. They went in 16 and 18. So again, right? Clustered back, clustered titles, two titles in this modern era, four programs that were very good, but I think had reached the point of having reputations for they can't get it done. And then they get it done with smart and right. So I I actually I, I was having trouble with Georgia. But I feel I feel pretty good about this one. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, then right left, and then Villanova basketball ended up on Neptune, losing in the first round of the NIT. Oh, no. So <laughs> it's hard. It's yeah, hard. There's no. a lot of like there's a, there's some blue bloods because I was doing something something else, and it's like you look at I looked at this the 17 programs with the most Sweet 16 appearances all time, and 11 of the 17 are in the tournament right now. Sure, and the six that are not in the tournament are Syracuse and Notre Dame, who had coaches on the way out, Jim Beheim and Mike Bray done this year. Two are Louisville and Villanova, who had first-year coaches this year with Kenny Payne and Kyle Neptune, who are trying to figure out and get it going. One is North Carolina, which just had a, a disastrous season, but they just went to the national title game last year. So this is year two of Hubert Davids. It's a very specific kind of thing. Of you took over for a legend, oh my gosh, like with the fumes of that legend, you made a national title game and then it got got away from you. And then the other is Ohio State, which just stunk this year for no reason. So anyway, like there is like, right, there's that. So there's this history of, you know, you should be something and then you're not quite, but then 
you get over the top. So that was rough for Kyle Neptune. But if Jay Wright was still there, I think we'd be right on with this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, with some of these, again, you just have to change the timelines a little bit. Like with the Gonzaga-Boise State comparison, you just, you know, you have to acknowledge that it's not right now this moment because it's just really hard for these things to all be happening at the same time. I will say, uh, I, I think another thing that makes this thing perfect is that, you know, what Villanova did in 1985 was they won a national championship, right? Under, it was Raleigh Massimino, right? So they kind of, they kind of have that team. They kind of have that program. Georgia, it was Vince Dooley in 1980. I, that kind of like set the expectation for what this program could be, but maybe they just couldn't quite be that consistently. And then they get those guys in there. They get those guys in there in Kirby Smart and Jay Wright, who just perfectly, perfectly know what to do and how to take advantage of a situation. And so, no, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And again, also, I just think historically, again, you've had this this moment of success. But then when you go back to work, you're dealing with a great conference and dominant teams around you. So it's like, hey, Villanova, you're in the biggies. Congratulations. But it's like, by the way, right? Georgetown and St. John's and UConn and all these programs and Georgia. Great. Hey, congratulations on the title in 1980. By the way, you still have to deal with Alabama and LSU and Florida and Tennessee and everybody around you, which again, you can be very good and not get where you want to go when you're part of conferences like that. So, um, yeah. And in the case of Jay Wright, he's a former Raleigh Massimino assistant. In this case of Kirby Smart, he's a former Vince Dooley player. I, I think that it's also another comparison that makes a lot of sense. So I wanted to make sure we got to Georgia. I covered everything I have. Do you have anything else that you wanted to, to do? No, no. I think that pretty much was everything Good. that I considered. Okay. So we hit all the big ones. Uh, if you have comparisons, you can share them on the CFB Survivor Show on Twitter. We certainly would welcome that there. We'll be back next week. Spring football is ongoing. We know that, but it's kind of a basketball kind of vibe right now. So we just wanted to have like a breezy little week. Of talking about stuff we always appreciate you guys being part of it and making the college football survivor show part of your week twice a week hopefully but even if you just do it once we'll take it so for now for shahan J. haraja of cbs sports i'm douglay maurice and that was the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line